This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Federal Ammunition, Onyx Hunt, Waltons, Aluma Trailers, Ready Rest, and Hoxie Native Seeds. My guest today is Mike Nadusky. Mike has been on a winding journey through the upland world and recently purchased the online retailer Ugly Dog Hunting. We'll find out how he got to this place in his career and what he's working on to help bird hunters like you and me. Hey, Flush Nation. Are you looking for a more comfortable, easy, and safe way to carry your shotgun? Look no further than ReadyRest. ReadyRest is a family-owned company. Sam started out of his garage, and, well, he still operates out of his garage. He was looking for a solution to carry his own gun, couldn't find what he wanted, and then, well, he built his own. ReadyRest was born, made from lightweight aircraft aluminum and dipped in plastisol, so it won't scratch your stock. When you try ReadyRest for the first time, you won't believe you've been hunting or shooting without one. Check out ReadyRest for yourself at ReadyRest.com. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'll be your host today on what we believe to be a one-hour tour through bird country. Brandon Morton is our producer. Brandon! You and I back together. The band's back together. We're in the same place at one time. I haven't seen you it's in amazing. over a month. It has been well over a your month. Your beard has never looked better. It is huge. It at is the moment. Huge. I think it's the what's biggest your, I've ever had. It. What's your goal there? Do you have a goal? Like, no end goal. Just, what is it right now? I'd give it three and a half inches, four I, inches. Something like that. I'd yeah. say pretty close. It's yeah. it's it's disgustingly gross, to be honest with you, but it works. What? No, <laughs> you look like I mean, if I was if like Filson called and said, we need a model to put on some clothes and go stand out in the field. That, that's you're what, it. That's <laughs> perfect. All right. I'll take that it's as a compliment. looking good. All right. Yeah. Um, if it looks like I'm looking at you guys with a big, black, ugly eye, it's because I am. That pupil is dilating. <laughs> it's massive. It, it is. It looks like you have a glass eye. It's I know. Just, you see it? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I know. I looked, at myself, <laughs> I looked at myself in the mirror before we started this. I was like, whoa. So I literally yeah. just... Like 10 minutes before you got here, Mike, I just got back from the eye doctor and um, it's a follow up to the hook in my eyeball. Um, and so I've been on steroid drops for the last month. My right eye, 2015, boys, 2015. My Perfect. left eye, 2020 vision. Unbelievable. It is a gift from God to be able to see. I appreciate all of the messages and the support, the prayers that have come in. Um, the doctor's words, not mine, Brandon, the doctor's words, this story will go down as one of the biggest bullets dodged in my career. Really? Yeah. And he goes, can I see the video again? So was it, was it the act of taking out that was like the bullet dodged or where it hit or what was specific about it that made it that well, way? Well, just the way that your cornea and your eyeball, um, like you have all these lenses in your eye. And the way the hook went through, it was a fishing hook, Mike, I don't mm -hmm. you know the story, but I got a fishing hook in my eyeball. And the way the hook went through and then came back out without tearing anything, because I was close to poking through the last lens, which would have then created pus coming out and all yeah. this other stuff. And then it would have been, we'd have been on a long Terrible. journey back. But all it took was some drops for the last month and a few days. And I'm back to... Literally, I told him when I walked in, 
he goes, how's your eye? And I go, honestly, I don't even think about it anymore. Like, it's just, it feels normal to me. And I don't know if it's nor like I'm, you know, if I close my right eye and I look through my left, it is a little blur to it. And maybe that's just the way it was before. I'm not entirely sure, but either way, I'm really grateful to be able to see as well as I can. I've been hunting, you know, the last few weeks and I just, I feel like my normal self again. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know if you took a, you know, a, a, a grouse sapling into the face and, you know, a long time ago, I have one, I I took one in the eye a couple of years ago and every now and then it's still, yeah. I'm still like, man, is there something in there that I didn't quite get out? So I have been wearing glasses, you know, he's like, you got to wear protective glasses. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at me again. Did I tell you that you need to wear protective <laughs> eyeglasses? I'm like, yeah, you told me that. But honestly, I'm walking through the woods. I'm sweating like a pig and there's, my glasses are so fogged up. I might as well have cardboard in front of them. Like, I have to figure out a solution here because I know other people wear glasses every day and I'm just not used to it. Maybe I sweat more than the average. Yeah. Maybe I need to get like a little battery powered fan to shoot <laughs> up from my collar and and uh, keep them clear. But like it's I'm learning how to uh, protect myself a little bit better. And I mean, man, wear, wear glasses when you're fishing. <laughs> I mean, wear glasses when you're hunting in the woods. Wear glasses because you only get two eyeballs. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's crazy, but yeah, I'm, I'm extremely grateful. And the messages and the support from everybody, I mean, my goodness, you guys are amazing. So thank you. Um, so that's good news. I've got, I actually have some other news, Brandon. I know you've been wanting to do this. So. Yeah, oh yeah, it's super <laughs> exciting for me on the production You side. don't even know what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have one spot that just opened up for our Hank Hunt coming up the first week in February at the legendary Prairie Wildlife Lodge in Mississippi. It's the, did I say the first week in February, Brandon? Yes. Okay, so that's when it is. If you sign up, uh, you'll be hunting with myself and Scott Franzen. We'll be filming the quail hunt down there. Um, and like I said, it's just one of those places and everybody that I've talked to that has been there, they tell me when they find out I'm going there, they're like, Oh man, you're in for a treat. That place is special. Have you it been is. there? I haven't been there, but I'm, you know, they just won a big conservation award last year with yeah. pheasants forever and quail forever for their native habitat work. And yep. it's supposed to be unreal. It's yeah. That's what I've heard. Unreal is a good way to describe it. We will be filming it for an episode of the flush television show. So we plan to make some pretty good memories down there. Good or bad, they'll be captured forever. <laughs> and you'll be able to uh, show your buddies about it, but also really just hopefully have some really rich time down there celebrating and remembering our dogs. That's what the hang hunt is all about. You can go to prairiewildlife.com and then contact them and say you want to sign up for the hang hunt, and they'll take it from there. Um, I'm not in charge of signing that up, so please don't reach out to me uh, to do so because I don't want to drop the ball on your behalf. The first person, it's one spot. So it's if you're the first person to sign up, uh, we'll see you there. Um, now our episodes, because it's a new year and the way our contract works with the Outdoor Channel, we cannot stream our TV shows until the full season has finished airing, which just took place on the Outdoor Channel. The last week was the last... Our last week of December was the last episode of our latest season, which means we are now streaming our episodes in their entirety on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel and you'll be notified every time we upload an episode. The first one went up, the Badlands Grouse Opener. Um, and then following that is going to be a two-part series on my Alaska Ptarmigan Slam adventure. 
man, I can't wait to watch that one back. I've been replaying it in my mind over and over, but um, to be able to watch it anywhere, anytime in its entirety, I'll probably do it a few times, not going to lie. I hope you guys do too. Let's see. Oh, okay. So if you want to be a guest on this podcast, right now is your chance. So next week, and depends on when you listen to this, it might be too late, but um, I posted a video on our Instagram and social media channels this uh, two days ago, Brandon, I think it was. I don't know. It was. Anyway, like two years ago, you and I had a listener episode where we just had people send us their stories. We picked a handful of listeners that we thought, you know, maybe this would be compelling. Um, it was awesome. It was awesome. It, it was, was a fun awesome. episode. It really was. Yeah, the stories are great. And uh, so we said, let's do it again. And yeah. you you obliged when I brought it up to you. And so we posted this video. I'm not going to say overwhelmed, but I still haven't gotten through all of the submissions yet. So we'll have a full, um, you know, a full episode of just our listeners next week. But if you're listening to this right now and you want to be on the show and you have stories from the hunt, good or bad, memories, I mean, anything, anything cool that we can celebrate together or learn from or just be entertained by, send us a message because I have a feeling based on all the submissions we got, Brandon, that I'm gonna, we're going to do more than one episode. Yeah, I'm thinking so. Which I is great. So. I think it's good for everybody to be able to participate and you know get their stories in. Everybody's got yeah. different stories Everyone from different parts story. of the, the country, different mm-hmm. types of hunting stories even. So Right. That'll be fun. I mean, I've heard some, I've read a few and I'm like, this is awesome. I'm torn about just reading the story that they sent or just have it. Cause I'm like, I don't know if you could tell it better in person right. or if I just read it, the words come to life when you read it. Anyway, send us on the social media or our website, whichever one you feel uh, compelled to do so. And if we don't share it in this coming um, episode next week, we will keep them and maybe reach out to you again to do it down the road because your stories are way better than mine. I'm, Oh, Travis, I mean, don't sell yourself. <laughs> Come on. No, I just, I, I like, <laughs> I don't like to talk. I'm a there you are kind of person, not a here I am kind of person, Brandon. So sure. anyway, <laughs> speaking of there you are, Mike Nadusky, there you are. You yeah, well, I'm more to- of a here, you know, uh, uh, there you are, not Dude, here I you, am person. you make an entrance, man. You come in here and you flood <laughs> our office. <laughs> Mike's like, hey, uh, can I use your restroom? And he goes in and he comes out. He's like, hey, just to let you know, it's it's Russian. Water is running. It wasn't me, I swear. <laughs> right. Yeah. There was well, no water issues before you went in there, Mike. So if you If you all can see this on camera, you won't know how red I am right now. Because the three guys that I hunt with the most are going to hear that and they're not going to believe the truth, which was that I walked in and it was legitimately rushing. And I went, well, I'm going to take care of business. I'll tell them afterwards. Um, Not that I had anything to do with it. They are this. (laughs) You just guaranteed my buddies roasting me like that. This is Uh, recorded for eternity. So I'm telling you, thank you for them. (laughs) Well, I mean, I would believe you, but you were in there for a solid five minutes before you came on told us that it was flooding so i don't i don't think that it was flooding before you got yeah. i think it was the toilet paper hanging to his shoes yeah. that led us to believe well it. good thing yeah. it was the urinal leaking yeah. then i know i know oh gosh I just... uh, i'm sweating right now <laughs> it was the urinal it was not yeah, yeah. yeah it was yes yeah. so anyway uh, uh there is a team in there taking part are <laughs> working on 
the, if we cut to short, it's because we're, the water's flowing <laughs> into our office over here. Anyway, Mike, welcome. Good, <laughs> thank you. Good to have you. You're one and only time into our office. I here. love it. Oh, this is great. Thank you so much for, for having me. And uh, like I said, if, if nothing else, thank you for from my buddies who are going to like snip where, that clip and just play oh, it over and over at our grouse where camp. Where do we even begin here? <laughs> I don't even know. I just, I had some notes written down. I'm going to close my computer yeah. here because I don't know where to take it after that. But um, uh, yeah, let's. <laughs> okay. All right, Mike. Sure. Um, you have quite a journey through the upland world. Sure. Yeah, a bit of a windy road. It's a bit of a windy road, I think, is a fair way to describe it. Um, where are you from originally? Yeah, so I'm from uh, Massachusetts originally, You know, born and raised out there, uh, but then uh, came out to the Midwest for college. Uh, so I went to Marquette down in Milwaukee uh, and really there fell in love with the Midwest, um, but then with different career and whatnot and, and personal stuff, moved around a bunch. So I basically bounce from the Midwest to the South, uh, probably three or four times. Um, and now I can say with the utmost confidence that I'm back in the Midwest here this in Minnesota, home. this is home. Are you sure? Uh, I'm positive. I'm not going anywhere. It, uh, it took me a while buddies to figure are gonna out. going to keep that line too. That's I'm good with that. Yeah. And I'm very okay with that. It, okay. uh, it took me a little while to, to figure out that this is where I wanted to be permanently. And, um, I couldn't, couldn't be happier. I actually, probably a month ago. Um, I'm still waiting for it, but I finally put in my, you know, Minnesota license plate. I got the pheasant critical habitat. Oh, it's official. Oh, it is. Yeah. With the, with the ugly dog license plate and everything. So love it. Yeah. Love it. Well, I did mention off the top that you just purchased the, the, the company ugly dog hunting. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, we've crossed paths a few times over the years because you worked for pheasants forever Mm -hmm. recently. Um, but we'll get into that after we get into your, your journey down South. So out of college, you went to where? Yeah. So out of college, uh, I actually went to graduate school, um, in, in South Carolina at Clemson. Um, my former career was working with college students. Um, I, for a decade, I worked uh, handling sexual assault and domestic violence and interpersonal violence cases for colleges and universities um, up until 2020. And um, that was a very noble that's, work that's and important. enough to push you into yeah. the, the open meadows. Yeah. And so I uh, it, I basically I did a decade of that and when I need to go do something to decompress my brain and, um, and really follow something, you know, that is, like I said, critically important work. Um, and I, I give a credit to all my friends that still do it, uh, but I couldn't do it anymore. And, uh, so I pivoted from that, um, in 2020, right after the pandemic really, and went to work for rough grouse society. I was living in, in North Carolina at the time. Okay. And, uh, so working with them, fundraising, uh, really, all over with COVID, you know, it was kind of an all hands on deck for the organization at the time. Uh, but we're doing a lot of work and particularly in the Southern Appalachians, you know, that, that grouse population is really hanging on, um, and needs a lot of attention. Um, it's been really neat to see, you know, this year, especially they really crushed it down there. They're doing a ton of work with forest conservation, um, particularly in the, the Southern reaches of, of grouse habitat. So um, I love to hear that. Good for them. You know, we're so, this is like, grouse country up here. Oh, you know, it's I mean, incredible. I spend as much time in the grouse woods as I possibly can. I'm absolutely crazy about the rough grouse. It's, yeah. It's just like, oh, I, I could just, I could walk in the woods every single day and never get tired of it. Absolutely. But I don't know what the grouse hunt, 
acting and the culture and everything looks like in the southeast. Can you sure. kind of explain it? Is yeah. it different than up here? Oh, absolutely. And it, I would say it's a very rich culture that is in danger of going away. Um, you know, and and I, you know, I'll own. I'm, I'm, a, you know, people down there would tell you I'm a Yankee, and and that you know I'm not from there. At the same time, you know, I have a love for the bird and the the landscape, and um, and want them to be there and and to keep up that tradition. And so, it really, you know, the South has a very rich bird hunting culture, whether that be bobwhite quail or rough grouse. You know, it's, yeah. they're both rooted in, in native species, um, and because of all of the the logging and industry, particularly in the you know sixties and seventies, there you could have really bang up grouse hunting down there. Um, you know, well, you know, probably into the early, you know, mid nineties. And then it's since fallen off. You know, tourism has really booned in that in that particular region and it's made it hard to to get any habitat management done. Sure. Um but there's still a lot of folks hanging on. You know, I I have a really, really good mutual friend of mine that says that most people in the South are one generation away from a bird dog in the family. You know, everybody's got a, a grandparent or an uncle or somebody that's got a bird dog running around. And, um, and it really is, is pervasive. And so if you spend any time down there, you know, like you mentioned, y'all are going down to prairie wildlife, mm-hmm. um, you know, or if you've ever been to seaweed, you know, that culture, while, while folks may not participate in it as much, the, the holdovers of that tradition is really rich. I feel like an English pointer. When I think of English mm-hmm. pointers, I think of Bob Whites in the South. Yeah. You know, and that breed of dog in particular. Is that true in the rough grouse woods down there? Yeah, I would say pointers and setters. I would tell you in the grouse woods, more setters. Okay. You know, that um, that history really still, you know, sticks even in the, the Southeast. Um, you know, most of the folks that I know down there are, are running you know, wavy long-tailed dogs. Yeah. Yep. Such a beautiful sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we'll get into your dogs in sure. a little bit, but I was in the grouse woods up here the last week or two, eh, both actually mm-hmm. December in Minnesota before our season closed. And, and Ben Bredigan and I, we did a podcast when we were in the forest a couple weeks ago, two episodes ago. And we talked about a lot of the late season uh, birds that we were hunting and what we learned and what we failed and how we succeeded, all that stuff. You can go back and listen to it if you want. But one thing we were talking about off the show and they didn't have the mics turned on because we're always talking, we're driving, you know, and, and he said something that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, this habitat work really is everything for the rough grouse, right? Um, when their forests are logged, um, he said that, you know, because we're talking about the cycle, like where are we in the cycle here? You know, 10-year mm-hmm. cycle, numbers are up, numbers are down. And he's like, I wonder if the cycle is a 10-year cycle because that's the way the logging structure worked hmm. years ago that kind of created that. And, you know, that's a great question. It, it's just something that we were thinking about. It's not necessarily the birds uh, being on a cycle. It's more so this is when the habitat was at its prime. And now we've got, you know, we know that if we log an area, get ready in about eight years, 10 mm-hmm. years, it's going to be just perfect rough grouse habitat. Yeah. So if there was a big logging push every, you know, X amount of years, mm-hmm. that is maybe why there's a cycle. Hmm. And so that was just our observations. Cause you know, when you're driving down a oh, you road, gotta, you talk about anything, absolutely. You convince yourself that you're right. Well, I mean, as you're saying that I'm going, well, I, I've had this running theory in my head that like, I haven't noticed a downturn in the cycle. You know, there's 2017 or whatever that year was where nobody could find birds. But otherwise, at least for me, 
I've been into birds really consistently, but I travel a ton. And with the advent of technology and, and maps and things, you know, there's certain places that I hunt, you know, I go back to over and over again because it's more like camp culture. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm always finding new spots and, you know, we're really honing in on that prime age class as opposed to 20, 30 years ago, it was, this is where I go grouse hunting. Yeah. And that, to your point, that cycle was way more prevalent. Whereas now, I mean, if you don't have a reason to go back to somewhere, you're just going to look on the map and go, mm-hmm. what's, what's the 10 to 15 year old, where are the 10 to 15 year old cuts? And I'm going to go there and you're going to find birds. Yeah. It's amazing too. You know, I, I took my dad and my brother out after Christmas and we went grouse hunting and I was just sharing with them all this, you know, maybe nerdy bird knowledge that I've hey. learned over the years, but they were all in, they were just pumped to be in the woods. And I was too, and pumped that they were there. And I, I would show them on an aerial. I'm like, this area here was mm-hmm. logged X amount of years ago. When we go in there, Daisy is going to lock up on point within a hundred yards of going in there. You mm-hmm. watch old growth on the edge of a swamp, clear cut, new young growth. I'm like, it's everything that those birds need right there. And it's a small little piece. So yeah, she works fast enough that she's going to be like, there they are. Oop, oop, beep. Yep. Here we point. go. And it was just like, I, we start walking and go, Daisy's on point, 120 <laughs> yards in there. And they're like, no way. And we walk in there, you know, yep. birds getting up and, and they're like, where's the next little honey hole? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it is kind of amazing when you know the habitat, mm-hmm. you can go in there and really pick it apart really quick and get into birds without spending, you know, maybe hours walking a trail through an old growth forest. Yeah. With that said, we found them in old growth. We found them in all kinds of different habitat because late season birds, end of December, some snow on the ground. I mean, just like, it's just different, but it's amazing what the habitat does. Absolutely. If there's one thing that we live for here at the Flush, it's bird hunting. And we all know that you can't have good bird hunting without good habitat. Few people know more about bird habitat than Hoxie Native Seeds. Family owned and operated, Hoxie Native Seeds has provided bird hunters across the Midwest with countless acres of premium native habitat mixes sourced straight from their own fields in the heart of Iowa. Perennial food plots, quail mixes, pheasant mixes, CRP, even dog-friendly seed mixes. To learn more, go to hoxienativeseeds.com. That's H-O-K-S-E-Y nativeseeds.com to order your own premium hunting habitat mixes today. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own Maps, apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public. The landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. And the reason I ask you that is because working for the organization, you know, I don't know if, what did you really take away from RGS all those years ago? 
I think, I mean, broadly, I would tell you it's an organization with a ton of grit and resiliency. You know, they've had to endure a lot of change, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and the organization caught a lot of flack with changing the model and leaning a bit more into to something a bit like PF where being, being a partner with government agencies and um, national forests and those types of things. Uh, but what we're seeing now, three, four years out, is is the proof in the pudding of, of you know, exponential growth in habitat work and, and acres impacted and whatnot. And that's only going to be, be better for the birds, particularly in the Southern Appalachians. You know, besides the, the local folks, the hunters and the chapter folks on the ground, there wasn't, you know, foresters and, and, and really, you know, what, at least what, what partners needed to qualify as experts to say, this is what we should be doing and this is how we should do it. And, and to have RGS put the investment into that region and put people on the ground. I mean, Nick B. Miller down there is, is an incredible asset. You know, I'd love to get into work with him. And to your point about nerding out, like I would walk in the woods with him and just learn so much. Right. It's so um, fun to be in the woods with somebody yeah. that knows so much and just absorb it. That's how I'm around yeah. dog trainers too. I'm just like, Tell me I'm listening all yeah. day long. I'll take everything you want to teach me. Yeah. It's yeah. so great. Same with Habitat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that is, is really, you know, the willingness to pivot is really a hallmark of the the organization. Um, you know, they're, they're certainly, with any organization, right, you always want to be able to do more than you can, and it's a long road. Uh, but it is light years ahead now where it was five, ten years ago. That's awesome. What's the biggest challenge that it faces? Down there? Um, tourism candidly you know so so if you're familiar with with the southern appalachians you know you've you've heard of the blue ridge parkway which is basically uh a two-lane winding road from virginia all the way down to uh basically like the border of south carolina georgia and north carolina that you basically ride at, at sort of almost peak elevation through the appalachians and um what has this concept has been introduced called a view shed so basically when you hit a pullout and you look out over the mountains, they want to quote unquote protect the view shed so that it looks pretty. Mm-hmm. And we all know that forestry, particularly in the first two years, does not look pretty. Doesn't is not a great aesthetic. Yeah. And so basically there's this movement to protect all of these view sheds, uh-huh. which means that you're not going to get any habitat done work done in those areas. So you're taking vast swaths of land out of of potential to to be managed um and almost like creating like de facto wilderness you know what would be something that would be cool to see because on those open views where Mm -hmm. you pull over there should be a sign there that rgs posts in the ground this beautiful forest kills native species yeah because it needs to be cycled yeah you know and so people because like non-hunters they literally do not know this. Won't understand it. I mean, they won't get it. But if the sign is written in one paragraph that succinctly says a forest needs to be managed yeah. and what it does for native wildlife species, I mean, I think people would be like, whoa. Because they're always reading the signs. Oh, yeah. You know? Yep. And then. Yeah. There are actually a couple of places down there where they've done work. Um, that they've done the opposite where they've done work and then they've put up educational signage of like, this is why we've done this and this is why it's important. But I I like your point of, you know, here are these areas where, you know, this might look pretty, but let's take this to a a ground level. And what does this actually mean for wildlife? I mean, this goes, I've said this dozen times on this episode or this podcast, but we did an interview with the wildlife biologist about meadowlarks and meadowlarks being a bird that is, very hard to find in a lot of places that used to be everywhere. And the, the, the wildlife biologist 
he was talking about this property that had meadowlarks and he wanted more people to see it because he said, if people don't know about the bird, why do we expect them to care? Yeah. And that's the truth. So mm-hmm. many people don't know, which is why non-hunter that pulls over on that beautiful overlook has no idea that once upon a time there was a whole bunch of rough grouse that live there. And mm-hmm. probably, you know, X, Y, and Z, name the different species of For sure. birds and everything that need to exist in those kind of places. Anyway, we could spend more days on that. Let's get into your next adventure sure. about moving back to the Midwest. Yeah, come so, up here. What was your role at PF? Pheasants so Forever? Yeah, so I worked as a development officer for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, primarily in the upper Midwest. Um, so that brought me back. Development officer, that's yep. a pretty big title. It, I, I guess had, so. I'm assuming you had... Um, uh, uh, a bracelet? You know, not a bracelet. No. Nope. Yeah, if you arrest somebody. You... Oh, handcuffs. I, yeah, <laughs> I don't. Gosh, I'm not following you. Thanks, I'm, Brandon. Yeah. That was so stupid. Yeah. Take that out, Brandon. I'm gonna get rid of that long, <laughs> long gap. No, you're gonna leave it in there. I'm gonna sound like an idiot. I love. It's it. supposed to be funny, but that was stupid. Take it out, and he won't. Yeah, anyway, no. okay. Um, so you're a development officer. Yeah. What does that mean out there? Sure. So my primary role was to uh, raise funds from from uh, corporations, foundations, and philanthropic individuals. So uh, for those folks that are listening, that might um, might be a, a gold patron, patron, life member, or maybe have a dog life member. Um, I know we worked. Uh, I worked particularly with Scott on the Hank Hunt, yeah. and I know at least is, is it going on this year where those folks That's will get a, a, a yeah, dog life dog. membership too. Yep, perfect. I believe so, um, so those types of things really um, working to elevate folks support, particularly financial support for the organization so that the organization... It would have been handy if I would have known that when I promoted this. I do believe that you will have a Dog Life membership when you leave as well. Awesome. I know they did it last year, so hopefully it's continuing. I feel like that's what's happening. Perfect. I do know that the money we're raising is going back to Pheasants Forever. So when you sign up for this hunt, if you do choose to be the last person to sign up, your, your entry into this hunt is going to... Perfect. PF and QF. Awesome. Yep. So, so my role was to to figure out ways to work with individuals, corporations, and and foundations to increase that level of of support. Um, so I traveled all over a, a bunch of different states, meeting with folks and um, working to fund different initiatives, whether that be just becoming an elite member or uh, funding particular projects, um, making sure that the organization has the resources that it needs to be successful. You know, we're really fortunate here in Minnesota. You know, with the Outdoor Heritage Fund and whatnot, that we get a lot of match money from the state. Yeah. And so, you know, working with philanthropic individuals to say, all right, if you invest XYZ into the organization, we can take that and with Outdoor Heritage, turn that into even more money, even more habitat, more Essentially acres. what Onyx did at Pheasant Fest last year, mm-hmm. the 4X. Correct. You know, I mean, you multiply yep. it that many times over. Yeah, what they're doing with the with the PATH program yeah. in South Dakota, yep. uh, those types of things. And so, um, you know, but, but really being the person that goes out and builds those relationships and has those conversations to help move folks along. So what's your biggest success story that you'll be proud of years from now when you look oh. back at your time at PF? That's a great question. Ah, thank you. Um, the easy, the easy answer is, you know, that I had the conversation with Bob St. Pierre and Scott about doing the dog life piece for the Hank hunt. Um, for me, I came to conservation through dogs. Um, and, and I think that a lot of people, that's how they learn about, like you said earlier, if you don't care about it, you know, how can you make a change and support what's needed to keep them on the landscape? 
so many people come to this through dogs and the ability to celebrate um, for me, the way I use dog life memberships is to celebrate a dog's life and their, you know, sort of honor their memory. So to utilize that and to push that forward as a way to raise money for the organization so that they can go out and do more um, is something that, that I've been really, really proud of to see that program continue and be successful. Yeah. Um, so dogs obviously got you where you are today now yeah. because you, um, were a, very involved in NAVDA, mm-hmm. right? And then of course, NAVDA, um, led you to Terry and Nancy. It did. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so where, what's your story through NAVDA to sure. get to where you are today now? Yeah. Um, so I, to tell that I have to go back to the beginning. So I was in my twenties. Um, I always wanted a, um, I wanted a dog candidly to blood track deer. I grew up a deer hunter, um, you know, being from the Northeast, I grew up on a small family farm. Um, but I, a, lo- a number of years ago, I had seen a wire hair and outdoor life or field and stream. And I was like, that dog's really cool. And I learned that they blood track. So I was in my twenties, I wanted to get a bird dog, got a wire hair. And, um, I didn't know this at the time I bought this puppy. I was living in St. Louis. I bought this puppy like in Northern Illinois, like on the Wisconsin border. But the guy that owned the sire of that dog, lived 10 minutes from me in St. Louis. And I didn't know that called me up one day and was like, Hey, I'm going to train my dog. I want to see the puppy. Will you come with me? Um, he was training in a NAVDA invitational dog at the time. So for the folks that don't know, NAVDA is North American versatile hunting dog association. It's a testing organization that helps people, you know, uh, you experience the the joy of a well-trained dog. And the invitational is like top of the top, like totally finished, you know, steady to wing shot and fall has to back do, retrieves be very obedient and that's what he was trained in leo for at the time so i have this 10 week old puppy and he here he is with this finished dog doing all this crazy stuff and i'm like wait a minute you're telling me that this thing can become that thing like i'm in right and i dove in with both feet um you know i was the guy that basically would call him up and be like you training this weekend can i come what do you need help with um, and the, out there. oh yeah, like you were saying, like dog training, like, uh, and I still am. And that followed me through that. I met a guy named Roy Ames, um, and I had from St. Louis moved to Milwaukee. Um, and he was really involved in a chapter, uh, around Milwaukee and, um, and he kind of put his arm around me and, and brought me into that chapter. Uh, he was a, a or is a, a judge with the organization. And so one day I've looked at him and went, what's it mean to become a NAVDA judge? Um, and so then I started on that journey and that's how actually how I met Terry. So as a part of being an apprentice judge with NAVDA, you have to travel all over and, um, you know, be an apprentice at these various tests, including doing stuff out of region. So Terry, uh, was judging at a test out in Maine and I happened to fly out there to be an apprentice judge for the weekend. So that's how I got introduced to him, got to know him. You know, obviously he was running, Ugly Dog uh, at the time, and Ugly Dog is a significant sponsor of of NAVDA, um, and so I I just was curious, like what asking him about the business and um, you know how he started it and and whatnot, and I've always loved the brand because at the time I had a wire hair, um, and and really through the course of that conversation, I I truly I remember it vividly. I remember leaving that week and being like, man, I wonder what he's going to do with this thing one day, and and you know wouldn't it be neat to own that company. Um, and that was 10 years ago and almost anyway. And basically I, I sort of progressed through, became an avid judge. I'm now a senior judge. Um, and obviously then pivoted in my career into conservation and, 
one of the things that I learned as being a development officer, as I was particularly meeting with philanthropic individuals, is I was always meeting with business owners. And I sort of saw this interesting, like, there's a way that you can impact conservation by working in it and meeting with a bunch of people and moving the needle that way. Um, but one of the things that I missed was the sort of freedom of schedule and um, you know, working for myself and, and those types of things. I came from a very entrepreneurial family. And so um, this, this thing sort of always like sat in my brain. And whenever I would see Terry, I'd be like, how's business? And, and it, over a course of, at some point, he basically mentioned that he might sell it, might not, who knows. So candidly, I literally called him a year and a half ago and went, hey, I know you've talked about this. Uh, would you entertain a serious conversation about what that might look like? Um, and I literally then sort of embarked on this journey of trying to figure out how to buy a company. <laughs> <laughs> how long from the day you made that phone call did it take to you took ownership of it? Uh, I would tell you it was probably it was a, 11 months. It was almost a year. Okay. Yeah. Because he didn't want to sell it? or No, he. To... it was more... Um, you know, Terry, it, it, that conversation I think happened in August, then hunting season happened. Sure. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. so, you know, and we're both big hunting nuts. And yeah. so, uh, if he was home, I was gone. And if, if, you know, I was home and trying to get stuff done, he was gone. And so really, you know, we got serious like in February once hunting season <laughs> ended and we stopped traveling. So you took over when? Uh, August, I think 20th. Okay. Yeah. What have you learned about the outdoor hunting bird dog oh, uh, wild. trial industry yeah. since you've taken ownership of a company that supplies people to be out there. Yeah. Um, for one, the I would tell you the biggest lesson that I've learned have, being really like steeped in this is that I'm my own worst customer. It's because I, uh, I have done this long enough that I know like what I like and I've already got a lot of stuff and so I don't need anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it, as well as we're all really fussy in particular. And there's like what we like. For sure. And I, I would tell you probably the biggest shift for me and I'm still working on it is I will look at things and be like, I'll never use that, but I'll have customers call me and be like, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread for any particular application. Yeah. Give um, us an example. So for like dog vests, like yeah. I don't run vests. Um, and I, you, maybe people would say like, that's ignorant and, 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 Perhaps that is that is true. You know, everybody has particular experiences with dogs getting hurt or, um, you know, protection from cold or things. And I would tell you, like, one of the things that I sell is a fleece hunting vest that most people use. Like, you know, so it's going to be zero this weekend. It would be something that folks put on bird dogs, you know, this time of year. And I haven't, up until last year, I hadn't really been exposed to pheasant hunting in those types of conditions. So I never would have considered it. Yeah. Um, but you know, even if it's just the, like the heavy duty nylon vests and things like that, um, you know, people are really invested in the protection of their dogs. Um, which, you know, had, had you asked me two years ago, I'd have been like, I, I just don't run a, run a vest. And I don't know if that's like a machismo or, or I'm also sort of one that like, if you put a dog and I have direct experience with this, if you put a dog down, anything can happen. Right. And so we it, talk about it all the time mm -hmm. on the show because we get serious feedback and like angry viewers like what how dare you put a dog into those conditions and I'm like that's that applies every single time you could be at a game farm mm -hmm. in Illinois mm -hmm. on the flattest piece of earth 
walking and something could happen to mm-hmm. your dog. I'm just using that as an example, but yeah. it could also happen in the mountains in Nevada where we were last week. Like mm-hmm. anything can happen at any point, anywhere you've seen it, I've seen it. Yeah. So if you're that worried, you can't hunt. You, you can't do it. And so it's all about mitigating risk and what your individual yeah. tolerances are. And, um, and so I've had to really expand, you know, my horizons of like, there are things that, that, I swear by or that I swear off, but that other people believe in or that have particular applications. And so it has been... You had to learn to bite your tongue a little bit? A little bit, yeah. 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 As well as just be be more open-minded, you know, and that, you know, it might not be for me, but it really works for for other folks. As well as I, coming from a, a background in higher education, one of the worst things with a professor is when they're too smart to teach it. And so you forget, like, what it's like to be a beginner sometimes. And so for folks for folks buying stuff often they're on the the earlier part of their bird dog journey because like for me i've been in this for long enough that i've got all this stuff right that works for me and i've bought plenty of stuff that didn't work for me they're still trying to figure it out and so uh, approaching it from the place of all right if i'm new what are my goals and how can i lend my expertise and and experiences to help them make the best i mean that makes total sense a majority of your purchases come when you're uneducated yeah I mean, yeah, I, I guess I've never really thought about it that way, but that makes sense because once you have your kennel, you've got your kennel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the kennel isn't like, well, time to get a new kennel this year. Sure. It's going to work. It yeah. should work if you could buy a good kennel. Yep. Um, are there regional areas where you're like, wow, I'm kind of surprised like this particular dog vest is a big deal in the Midwest, but nobody buys it in Georgia or vice versa? Yeah. Um, I absolutely, what I would say though, is that it is generally tied to where the, um, where it's manufactured. So I sell a particular uh, type of dog vest that's manufactured in Maine. I don't know that I've sold one of those outside of New England. Hmm. Um, this fleece vest that I was telling you about, that's, uh, put together by a company out in Washington and a lot of folks out West particularly buy them. Um, and so there is a bit of regional, uh, biases there. And I, I don't know why, and maybe it's just a, a familiarity with the companies. I'm sure. Plus, um, I, Hey, I've been using this. we got a couple buddies coming yeah. with. I think you should use it too, because here's why X, Y, and Z it's like yep. personal, uh, experience. Word of mouth. Yeah. Word of mouth. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. So it makes total sense why certain things would sell higher in certain areas. Mm-hmm. I'm, If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. Now's a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. 
Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. Hey, give us an overview of Ugly Dog. Like, what, what sure. do you sell? And um, is it all online? I think it's all online. All online, yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, basically, we're a retailer around... Uh, what I say is we're we're the retailer for serious dog trainers and serious bird, bird hunters and are sometimes silly dogs, yeah. right? Uh, because uh, one of the things that I so love about what Terry and Nancy did with the brand was that um, they positioned it from the ugly dog perspective of, uh, you know, they're always going to do something quirky or silly or get in trouble or lay down in the mud puddle or those types of things. At the same time, we all take this seriously, you know? And so, um, my goal with the business is to provide the best gear, uh, with the, with the knowledge of how to use it and get the most value out of it. So that is anything from, you know, quality dog collars and leashes and check cords and training equipment all the way through hunting equipment, whether that be hunting vests or kennels or, um, you know, kennel covers and things to gear you up to go out into the field to be successful first aid kits. Um, you know, on the way up here, I was listening to your podcast with Rich and you sure, mentioned yeah. those snare cutters. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't have those. And so I literally like sent myself an email, like go find those. Yeah. Uh, because that is really important and something that will help folks be successful. The other side of this, and this is probably more my personal passion, is I also want to, to utilize the platform to convey to the audience ways uh, to, to have tips and tricks to be successful in the field um, that may not necessarily be product oriented. So one of the things you were talking about on that podcast was the cone. Um, and I've run into this with a dog running into barbed wire out in the field. And they particularly, they cut that front shoulder and they want to chew it the whole time. Right. And I had this happen in Kansas a couple of years ago. And I forget where I found this, but it's literally go buy a pool noodle at Walmart and run a dog collar through it and put it around the dog's neck. And that pool noodle creates enough space where the dog can't put its chin down and get to its front shoulders and legs. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a really good yeah. little bit of information. I got pool noodles at my house yeah. and my shed. And so I, I literally have one that's in my truck. It doesn't take up a ton of space of, and I just cut it into chunks. And so I, you know, you can basically just feed it. I use a, a an extra e-collar strap because hmm. it gives you a little bit extra room in all the holes. And yeah. Interesting. Boom, what else done. do you carry with that might be useful? Well, so the, the other biggest one, um, I'm actually uh, going to try to do a video on it tonight, is the inner tube dog boots. I don't know if you've, you've seen yeah. that. Yeah. So um, in this, I swear by them. I've used them in, in Oklahoma. I think we've hunted some similar areas with a ton of sand spurs. And mm -hmm. um, if you don't have boots, you're out of luck. And so, but I, I had a guy call me. I think last month he was down in Arizona visiting his family and he called me like Friday at like six o'clock and he's like, Hey, I really need a pair of boots. I'm out here hunting for the next week. And, um, you know, my dog's all torn up and we're not going to make it. And it's again, Friday, six o'clock. And I'm going, even if I overnight this to you, it's not going to get to you till Monday. So you're out, you know, Saturday, Sunday and Monday hunting. And I literally, I was like, do you have a dirt bike shop near you? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, go, find the right diameter for your dog's foot and go buy an inner tube and go on Google and Google how to make inner tube dog boots and you will hunt tomorrow morning. And he was like, really? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, for me, I don't need to sell a pair of dog boots. I want you to go hunting. Right. Uh, and so trying to bring those types of things where, you know, you can go buy Lewis dog boots, for example, and they're great boots. 
when the dog throws it, you know, right. have fun finding it, you know, a finding it and B eating the cost of it. Right. Right. And so how can, can the business be this place that a, will give you the best stuff, but also will give you sort of the pro tips and the insider hacks to, to work around some of these things where maybe, maybe you don't have to spend all of that money. When I started, you know, I mentioned that, that gentleman, Matt, that, that, um, that really started me in this. If you've ever been to a NAVDA training day and you're new, you're going to stand in that parking lot and be like, Oh my gosh, I could, there's so much here that I, you have envy and, and there's, we kind of say like, all right, we'll get you started, but we're not responsible for the financial implications for <laughs> yeah. you. Right. Because there's yeah. so much gear. And, and I recognize that that's an access issue, you know, for folks to come into this, the dog's expensive enough, dog food's expensive enough. Mm-hmm. And, and I want, like I said, quality gear is important and it's going to cost money. But if there's ways that, that we can thread the needle on that, I want ugly dog to be a place where folks can go and rely on, you know, that, that will sell you great quality gear, but will also give you the tips and tricks of, you know, if you're in a pinch and you can't buy a dog cone, yeah, go to Walmart and bail yourself out. That's, that's, I mean, where, where will people find all of your hacks? Yeah. So, um, it, it, they are in my brain right now. And so that is <laughs> yeah. the, the perks of being a, a small business owner and entrepreneur is there's only so much time in the day. And so one of my big goals for 2024 is to really roll out some of this education, whether it be through social media and, and our website. And so, um, you know, I'm actually, like I said, I'm literally on the way home, I'm swinging by the shop to go buy another inner tube to cut up dog boots and make a video for that tonight. So, so, um, where is the warehouse? Where do you, where, when, I mean, you're here. So I, yeah. who's running the yeah, operation? Me, well, so, um, you know, I've worked this morning and I'll work this afternoon and I've got a couple of folks that, that work for me part-time, but I literally run it all out of my house in, in Northfield. Uh, you know, it's a, we're a small enough operation right now that I can do that. So we're located about an hour South of, of the twin cities. Okay. Um, and, uh, the goal obviously is to, to grow that into independent space over time. But, um, I, I take great pride in being, is your garage just stock full right now? Your every room? Yeah, uh, not my every room, thankfully. Um, but uh, you know, my basement is chock full of stuff. <laughs> so uh yeah, which is a great, a great problem to have. Right. Yep. Right. What's the biggest uh purchase time of the year for upland bird hunters? Is it year round or is it no, heavy it's in the hunting summer? season? Early early fall, late summer, I, I would, would imagine. Honestly, I would tell you holiday season. Um, and, and I think I'm, I'm a bit skewed in that I took over the business in August. Yep. And so business was steady in September and October, um, holiday season hit and things exploded. Um, you know, I think, uh, gift giving for people with dogs is a really easy, right. you know, hit. And so I think for us, we saw a significant swing, um, and are still riding that wave. You know, I was looking at some analytics recently and, and our orders from, from Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, or our Western states, or people that are going to those places, sure. um, has has really kept up demand. Um, and so I'm interested to see, you know, being new in it, what that looks like over the next year. Um, but right now, I'm I've already had to shift my focus to all right, like training season's coming and puppy season is coming, and so what do we need to have on hand from an expanded inventory perspective to make sure we meet the demands of folks going out to have the best fall of 2024 they can. So you're a hunter, you're a dog trainer, you're living in this world, but you're also, this is your life now. This it is. This is a business for you. So how do you plan ahead? Like what's going on in your mind 
to grow this company that you talked about wanting to grow. Mm-hmm. What's what are you thinking right now? Oh, um, there's a lot going on up there. There is a lot going spinning. on up there. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the best thing that I have done this year um, is I have made a commitment that I have to take my dog for a 45 minute walk every day, and I can't bring my phone because um, because that. Um, especially with the business and social media and things, I have so much inbound traffic that while I might want to not take my phone, invariably it'll go off. So that has been a really good decompression time for me to like, just think about things and problem solve and plan. Um, You know, first and foremost, it's, uh, you know, what's what are the day-to-day tasks that we need to do and, and accomplish those. But then, you know, like I said, already thinking out, you know, March, April, May, things are going to get warm. People are going to get out and train. And so what do we do? What do we need to have on hand for those folks to be successful? You know, similarly, Pheasant Fest is coming up. You know, we're going to be we're going to be at, at P Fest, and um, we're really excited about that. So, what do we need to do to provide folks a really good experience with with us and our products at that? And then beyond that is how can we put out this educational material from a trainings perspective, as well as uh, you know what what do people want to know and when to go out and have that 2024 experience? Um, you know, I think one of the things I really want to lean into is, is encouraging folks and providing the information for them to go out and take these trips, you know, and go places that they've never been. Like that has been so incredible for me to be able to do. And I'm sure for you, you know, we're, we're spoiled, right? We go, we're, we're live the dream that a lot of people like, Oh oh man, that must be so cool to go to Wyoming or to Alaska or Kansas, Oklahoma, all of these crazy places. And we live here in Minnesota where crazy good grouse hunting and very good pheasant hunting is right out the door. Um, but there are so many folks, you know, having that experience living in the Southeast, they don't have that out the door. And so how can they, you know, really, take the leap because there's a ton of threshold resistance. Like I'm going to drive 20 hours to Kansas. Mm -hmm. What does that look Mm -hmm. like? So how do we set people up for success? A to have the the gear they need to be successful, but help build confidence in them that go have this experience and you'll learn things and you'll be better off for it. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, my wife and I were talking about taking our kids on a Western summer getaway. Mm -hmm. Like I got to experience a growing up, my fondest, family memory was a trip to Yellowstone. I just yeah. loved everything about it. And we're talking about doing that with our kids. We've had friends that have done it and she's talking to them and it's like, they like, Oh, I have an itinerary. I'll, I'll send you ours, you know, and highlight the things that we love the most on it too. It's almost like as a bird hunter and I get this pretty regularly, I'm guessing you probably get this too. It's people are like, I'm coming from Georgia. I want to go pheasant hunting or I want to go hunt on the prairie where would you go, um, you know, and they're looking for just like this, they almost want an itinerary, you mm-hmm. know? And like you said, you don't know what you're going to need till you get there a lot of times yeah. because experience leads to purchasing the the right gear because after you don't have it, that's when you know you need oh, yeah. it, you know? <laughs> and that's why, like, we just, it, it was like the, the aha moment there. Most of the purchases come when you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, until yep. after you go through something like, oh man, I could have used those like musher secret. Yeah. You know, we used that up in the mountains last week and we were talking about the booties up on, you know, 10,000 feet or however high we were. But I don't know that I would have been comfortable mm-hmm. with booties on a dog's feet in those boulders and, you know, sure. the falls because like there's something about that paw and the claws and being able to mm-hmm. grip that the dog's balance. And if you don't have a hundred percent of your balance on that kind of uh, terrain, I don't want to risk losing them. Yeah. You know, so Musher Secret is a solution to get through that mm-hmm. to help your dogs. There's just so much 
to learn. Um, there's so much that is out there, though. Yeah. And that information is out there. Uh, obviously, you're sharing it. You're going to continue sharing it. It's an exciting journey. I think we've got to we got to check out here in a second. So um, the the plumber's coming in and <laughs> knocking going on in the back there. I don't know. If I was hoping Brandon safe. was going to come. Well I don't see any well water played. coming under yeah. the door yet. <laughs> We're okay. I've heard a lot of banging <laughs> oh, going on, man. so I don't know if we need to help them. They've been yelling for help. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> what what is the highlight from your hunting season this year? One last highlight. Oh. Um, I, was it the video that your buddy sent me about it is, that young Yeah, kid? yeah. So um, I, I'll try to condense this. Um, I, I'm sure you experienced this going around all over the place. You know, watching somebody, you know, take their first species of bird, you know, is has really become something incredible for me. And I've been privileged to do it both at PF and QF and, and now with the business, um, you know, and just friends and whatnot. So I go to Kansas every year uh, with, with who's become a very dear friend. Um, my buddy Ed, and he basically invited his best friend and his best friend's son. His best friend's son, I think Braxton's 14. He's a huge fan of the show. He's going to totally nerd out that I'm, I just I'm said his name on, on, on this. Um, but he, uh, never a Bob, never wild Bob White quail hunted. Um, and basically Ed and I just force fed him quail all week. Um, and so he, Ed, I'd learned this, Ed sent you the video, the very last day, the very last time, I'll make a long story short. Um, we literally had a covey of quail fly from private literally over the road into the weeha we were parked next to and land 20 yards from my truck um and so um it, braxton is a very actually elite level golfer and he's got the confidence to back it up so he likes to talk a lot of trash Love it. he um he basically like challenged braxton more every yeah minute. he challenged me that i couldn't kill a bird with this 28 gauge for the record i did but he hadn't killed anything with it so literally in my head i'm like all right pressure's on kid yeah. so i literally went grab your 28 gauge let's go um, and I let uh, my short hair Mac out of the truck. And so she comes over and locks up on point and he walks in and, and the whole covey just erupts at his feet. And I have this video of him, you know, per beautiful sunset dog on point and this covey blows up and he manages to just graze an outside bird just <laughs> enough that it falls. Um, and, and we just go nuts and it was the best way to end the trip, you know, for, for that to be a core memory for him for the rest of his life. And, and for us to see, you know, really that, that fire really get lit in a young person to go be a bird hunter. Um, well, wow, I got to experience it too, because yeah. it sent me the video. I got yep. an email with the video of that and I love being able to see it. I mean, that's why sharing the, the prairie and the fields and the experience with other people is so rich. It is. I mean, and like my highlights from this year, I've been to some amazing places. They're not about me. No. It's about the other people, like my my kids and our, yeah. you know, my buddies and their kids and all the new people that we brought out into the field. And, you know, just little, like I could sit here for hours and tell you stories about my hunting season. And yeah. I probably wouldn't tell you any of my own, except for this one. Let me tell you, Brandon. Uh -oh. Hold on. I forgot about this one. <laughs> oh, I, no. got, I got to pump my chest a little bit. Okay. Oh my goodness. I just remember this. We'll close it here. I, we're, we're my dad, my brother and I, it's the last week of December and we go on this grouse hunt up in the woods and Daisy's just on fire, right? And we just gotten three inches of rain. So everywhere you walk is just standing water. It made mm -hmm. it like the most ridiculous grouse hunt I've ever been on. But yet she's still finding birds. She's on point, you know, and we're missing them left and right. Like the best points, birds getting up like right in front, yep. opening. You never get an open shot at a no. grouse. Missing it. Like we'd miss like six grouse guys. And it was just, it was just awful. 
And finally she goes on point and there's three of them. And my brother gets one of them. And we're like, we leave it empty handed. And I'm like, and my dad's just riding us. He's like, I thought you're supposed to be this big, great hunter. Yeah, professional. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I'm like, just don't worry about it. And so we go on this last walk and this last cut. And, and Daisy goes on point and Bird runs off. Another point. And she's staring into this big brush pile and over the top of this brush pile is a tree that had fallen Mm -hmm. and the tree is as you wrap your arms around and touch your tips your fingers together that's about how wide the base of the tree was a big rut ball in the Mm -hmm. air you know and it was angled and so i'm like adam's my brother i go adam you got to get on this side over here because on the outside of this bush and this big brush pile in the tree is an open clearing Mm. Yeah, so Daisy's just locked up, looking like a million bucks, staring into this bush. And I'm like, I'll, I'll go in for the flush. You be ready. Are you ready over there? He's like, yeah, I'm ready. I got an open shot here. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> I'm going to push it your way. And I walk up this tree, and I just keep – I was intending to walk over it, but I was like, well, it just makes sense to walk up it. As mm-hmm. it's angled up in the air, I'm walking up this tree, and all of a sudden – this grouse explodes from directly underneath me. I'm probably like six feet, seven feet in the air. And I feel like I'm a hundred feet in the air because, yeah. you know, just the, the brush and everything. I'm above everything. Yeah. And it's like the best view. And with one hand, I grab a popple that's sticking up my left hand. And I watch this grouse fly exactly perfectly away. And with my other hand, I shoulder my 20 gauge and I had the most perfect shot. And I just go, boom. And it was like, Everything in it just slowed down, and I it's like I could see the BBs catch up to the grouse and just roll it. And I was like, Yes, and my brother goes, That was amazing. And I go, I'm calling it a season oh, yeah, right yeah, there. We're I'm walking done. away, grouse season is over. Yep, and I wanted it to end there, but unfortunately, Daisy went on point again, and we did not get the last grouse. But I wanted the last grouse to be a one handed shot from wow. seven feet in the air on top of a fallen tree. Brandon, it would have been like. Just happened in slow motion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> where's the cameras now? I know. <laughs> somebody, somebody get that. Nobody got that shot. Yep. Oh. Anyway, so that's my only story. That's impressive. Me. Thank I, you. That is well done. <laughs> very well done. I'm, I'm not very often impressed by other people's hunting stories, but that is that is a good one. Gosh, well done. I'm gonna carry that one with me for the rest of the season. It's like it's like when you go golfing and you have one good shot. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be back. I'll be that's back. why. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'll be back next year, Grouse, and that's why. And before. <laughs> I could figure out how to get back down the tree. Daisy was waiting there with the bird in her mouth. And Beautiful. I, thought, I love you, girl. Yep. I love you, girl. That's, that's why, why we do hunting it. rocks. And I, my brother was right there with me, and that made it even better. Awesome. And we told my dad the story, and he didn't believe any of it. <laughs> <laughs> Just as it should be. Yep. Oh, Mike, congrats on the new business. Thank you. Uglydoghunting.com. Mm-hmm. People can go and do some shopping there, and you have a variety of products mm-hmm. from all different brands out there, and you have a lot of hacks that you're going to be posting. Too. Absolutely. I'm sure there's plenty more to come. We're excited to follow your journey. Thanks for coming in today, plugging our our uh, bathroom <laughs> up and sharing about <laughs> your experience in this world. See, guys, everyone that sends messages about how to get into the outdoor world, Man, you never know. You never know. You just don't know how it's going to go until afterwards, and then you can write a book about it. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. 